And we're back with another episode of Cross Street Coaching. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. And I have a guest with me, Des Stevens. And Des, how do you like to be introduced? Wow. Um, I guess as the founder and CEO of Radiant Coaches Academy. Founder and CEO. Excellent. And why don't we talk a little bit about why you agreed to speak with me today? Well, I love coaching. Uh, I love talking about coaching, the, the industry itself, the future of where we're going with coaching. Coaching has been in my life, well, professionally for 15 years, but it's just something that has enriched my life so much. And I think I do coaching differently than most people do. So I like to have conversations about what else coaching can be in people's lives. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. And I love that. So we're checking all the boxes. You love coaching, love talking about it. So here we are. But you said that you have a unique take on what coaching can be. So why don't we start there? I do. I think most people enter coaching for one of two reasons, to become coached or to be a coach. And they think of it as a monetary exchange. So for example, if you look for coaching, you pay for coaching, you receive the benefit of coaching, or you become a coach and you get paid to become, you know, to do sessions. Mm -hmm. I think of it differently. I came into coaching, not thinking of it as a business for myself. I came into it to learn how to listen, (laughs) to learn how to be a better human being. And secondarily, I thought, well, maybe I'll do it as a living. And I did do it as a living out of the gate. I learned in coach training that I was a real natural, which I was really excited about. I did learn how to listen, which is the the um, benefit of the training itself. I would have been, I'm good. If I just learned that, I'm good. So when I started coaching professionally, I was in nonprofit work. And I thought, wow, okay, this is a way for me to make money as an entrepreneur, and I don't have to work for anyone ever again. And then I thought, wait a minute, what if it could enhance my nonprofit work? What if it could help with my social entrepreneurship or social work or social justice work, as people call it now? So I started thinking of it differently. I thought, well, instead of just pro bono coaching versus paid coaching, what if I could coach people and it could change a family or at least an individual, or maybe a community, or maybe even more than that. Because as a child and as a young adult working in nonprofit, I thought, I really just want to help people. I want to I want to save the world. I want to save the planet. I want to save the animals. Those were all my thoughts when I was younger. So coaching became now a vehicle for me to do that. And I wouldn't say it's like, to the masses, but I just wanted it to be more than one-on-one. I thought, well, how can I reach people? How can it really make a difference? I honestly didn't know what that was going to look like, but that was the idea at the time. Mm. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. So you were in nonprofit work and how did you discover coaching? Cause obviously nonprofit definitely has an altruistic bent, not just by its name, but usually by the mission as well. And how did that lead you to coaching? I am so fortunate that my nonprofit work came from wanting to make a difference and not really finding an industry where I fit. So I thought, well, I'll go into nonprofit work because then I can, like you said, follow a mission and 
follow someone else's vision of what can make a difference for people. And I was at, I was in a marketing role as a fundraiser and a respected colleague turns to me and she says, this was in 2003. She said out of the blue, it seemingly (laughs) you would be an incredible life coach. And I turned to her almost like looking around me like, are you talking to me? <laughs> like, <laughs> why? <laughs> and uh, because I was a terrible listener. I'm, a, I'm an identical twin. We constantly talk over each other. So that's one of my habits of not listening right at the time. So I said, I don't think so because I'm a terrible listener. And she said, well, you will learn how to listen in school if you go <laughs> to, to life coach training So I thought, hmm, I might need to sign up just for that reason. But I said, why do you see that in me? Because I don't see that in me. And she said, well, you're compassionate, you're resourceful, you're so kind. You know, I think you would be a great life coach. So I signed up. I went to San Diego and I became a life coach. And the rest is history. You had also mentioned that your initial desire to go into coaching was to become a better listener. And then that's what transitioned to, oh my goodness, I could run a business out of that. Um, I don't have to work for anyone ever again. But then you kind of came back and circled back around to your original spot. So can you talk a little bit about how that that whole cycle went? The beauty of this is it did twofold for me this way. I literally feel like I'm a better human being because of coach training. I knew I cared about people, but the way that I learned to have a candid and caring conversation with someone really changed my social constructs, frankly. So it took me a couple of years. I was doing some life coaching and it was, you know, it was going along and I I enjoyed it. And then I thought it felt a little flat and I thought, what am I missing? So my first thought was, I miss marketing. I'm a marketing nerd. So I thought, well, how can I incorporate the coaching? So I became a marketing coach and I did that for about a decade. I love that. But then it started feeling a little flat and I thought, okay, I'm missing something. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Self-coaching, trying to figure it out. And I went into relationship coaching and I'm now an entrepreneur coach. And all along the way, about nine years ago, my husband said, so I was coaching for about seven years professionally at this time. My husband turned to me and he said, you know, you're always doing, you know, this great coaching for people and you're helping them build their businesses and they're making all this money and they're acquiring fame. And you're so good at that. Why don't you do that for yourself? Why don't you start your own business? And the first thought that popped into my head when he said that was coach training. Because in Nashville, where I live, there is no coach training, brick and mortar. So I thought, hmm, everyone's always asking me about coaching. Where can I become a coach? So I send them to Boulder, Colorado. I send them to San Diego, where I went to school. And I thought, wow, there's really nothing here. So I started at Vanderbilt University. So in that coach training model, it was just a, it was just an experiment, 22 people, a six month program. And I had no idea what that would do for me uh, internally and otherwise. In part, what it did was it reignited this part of me that wanted to be a humanitarian and do more of that kind of work. So I started training eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, and I set out to do more humanitarian coaching 
And it has completely changed who I am as a person and frankly has changed my business in major ways. All right. Awesome. Because I definitely, I definitely want to talk about the humanitarian work. So to kind of wrap up what, how the, it sounds like the whole process was not, I learned about coaching. I went in for myself and I came back. It sounds like it was a a long process to get there. Yes. For me, I follow what my friend calls the thread of success. I just keep following whatever I'm led to follow. I am not a planner. I am not a strategist. I'm more of a where is the energy taking me today <laughs> kind of person, which can be both a blessing and a curse. So when I started coach training, I listened and I realized, ah, this is a holistic coach model I'm creating. So my curriculum is actually very different from most coach training schools. It's a little more progressive. We do a lot of quantum physics. We do a lot of metaphysics, things that typically aren't taught in coach training and a lot of marketing because that's my background. So in that, I listened and I heard coach trainees say, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. And I thought, that's me. How can we make a difference? So yes, we can make money. It's a very lucrative profession. But how can we incorporate humanitarianism that's not just, oh, part of my practice is going to be pro bono, and I'm going to set aside an income-sensitive sliding scale if I have people that are lower income? How can we think even beyond that? So my first thought came to me accidentally. This is more that flow style. I notice things and then I respond to things. So in 2013, I left the country for the very first time. I went to Central America. I went to Honduras. I was on a retreat with a friend. And I noticed that women in Honduras didn't have job opportunities. And I thought they could be coaches. They could coach online. They could coach tourists. They could coach pro bono in their communities in this very, very poor country. So that was my thought. And we started coach training there five years ago. And this is something, imagine a country where on average people live on $1 per day. And I go in and I say, uh, you can charge $100 per hour for coaching. Can you imagine (laughs) the shock and awe and skepticism that I received there. Well, here we are five years later, and they're very glad we came to Honduras. I'll just say that. We have coach trained over 120 coaches now in five years, completely changing individuals, families, communities, and beyond. Wow. So that in that started it. So so I'm a for-profit company. I'm not a nonprofit, but I consider this part of my business, these full scholarships, to be in part my humanitarian work. And that started another program two years ago for high schoolers in Honduras, and that is leadership coaching, for some of them coach training. We have a student um, inaugural class graduating this December after two years. That is very exciting, which started, again, everything kind of unfolds, right? So that program is called RISE, and that stands for Radiant Initiatives for Sustainable Education. And what we mean by that is, what if I don't think that I have an educational opportunity. Maybe I think I can't go to college or university because maybe I can't afford it. Or maybe I don't want to go to college. Maybe I want to step into a career that 
directly helps people, but I don't want to be a therapist and I don't want to be a nurse and I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want all my choices that I think are out there currently. I want to step into coaching. So that led to North American initiatives. Rise on the Res is the one I'm most proud of. I will Mm -hmm. admit that one started this year. We have now Rise Canada, Rise Malaysia, Rise Los Angeles. We are growing like crazy now. So this part of my business is just feeding me so much. And it is basically going to new markets where coaching does not exist, giving people the opportunity to experience coaching. And then some of those people will show interest in becoming a coach. And the RISE program started in South America. Is that correct? In Central America, in Honduras. In Central America. Gotcha. In Honduras. So when you're going out to Honduras and you're seeing the the culture and obviously a different economic level, how did you know that coaching was going to be the correct solution and we're not just mapping U.S. values of living onto Hondurans? I love this question. Thank you so much for asking that. So I do, I do see a lot of people going to places, impoverished places, thinking, "Oh, I call it the white savior syndrome." By the way, where people like, "Oh, yeah, we can help you. You should do it like this." And uh, I see a lot of missionaries doing that, and no, you know, no criticism there, other than please don't go somewhere making a lot of assumptions. I went on a spiritual retreat and I met some Hondurans. They found out that I was a coach and one of them pulled me aside and said, can you coach my children? Because we, they lost their sibling, our child. It was a couple. And I believe the children at the time were eight and 11. And I said, of course. And I honestly had never coached a child before. So I was a little nervous. I have children, but it's like coaching a child is a, I thought at the time was a whole new um, frontier I had not yet explored. So I did that. It was beautiful. It was a grief coaching session. Uh, someone else pulled me aside and said, can you coach my friend who has been going through some domestic violence issues? It's something that he cannot talk to his priest about because this is not what men typically talk about out in the open. And just them discovering that I was a coach opened the conversation. So then that turned into, can we, can we become coaches? And my, you know, at the same time I was viewing, uh, and, and, you know, I'm a woman, so I noticed the women didn't have opportunities. So I thought, you know, I, I turned to my friend who I went on the trip with, and she is the UN ambassador uh, to Honduras. And I said, what can I do for Honduras? How can I help? And she said, you can coach train them. And I said, sign me up. <laughs> so mm-hmm. five years ago, we had 50 women in a room. Can you imagine? I had never coach trained more than 20. Here are 50 in a room and they were magnificent. And half of them had their arms crossed and were very tense, suspect. They were saying, well, why is this free? You know, is the International Coaching Federation going to ask me for money? Are you going to ask me for money later? And I said, no, no, no. And five years later, they they trust me now (laughs) because we some people go and they never come back. 
right? Some people go sure. and make promises and never deliver. So this is, you know, in my case, my tuitions are $8,000 USD. And that is about $200,000 Lempira in the country of Honduras. That is mind blowing and heart blowing to them. And I don't blame them at all for being suspicious in the beginning, because some people have agendas and ulterior motives. My motive is Honduras at the time did not have coaching. I wanted to offer and introduce coaching to Honduras. Now it is very prevalent in Honduras because we've been doing it for five years now. So again, I just keep following this thread of success. I listen, listen, listen. Every time I'm there, I say, what else can I do? What else can I do? And it is different in Honduras than it is on a reservation in North America. It is different in Tennessee versus Edmonton, Canada. We do customize the programs for that reason, but we are not going in claiming anything or trying to save anyone or rescue anyone. We are just noticing, ah, these are markets that don't even exist for coaching. We can introduce it because people in Honduras, for example, had options like talking to a friend, talking to a priest, talking maybe to a therapist, but therapy is not even prevalent there. So Mm -hmm. coaching was an opportunity. You mean I can talk to someone about my thoughts and my feelings and my goals and my dreams, and someone will listen to me and they won't judge me and they won't try to give me advice or tell me what to do. That was amazing to them. So they really, really blossomed. That sounds really incredible. And I, I really like the approach and the observations of what's actually happening and kind of how it organically developed from kind of people asking for it rather than automatically assigning a solution. So if you're looking at now as the impact of coaching, so they they have access to this very rich marketable skill with access to the internet, you know, you can obviously get to a higher price point. How does that impact when they're trying to support their own community that maybe don't have access to $100 you know, USD an hour? What does it look like today? Yeah, the reality of them coaching is if they coach someone in North America, someone in Spain, someone in Europe, that is what they can charge, You know, that $80 to $150 USD range. Honduran uh, physicians get paid about $40 an hour, attorneys mm-hmm. $40 an hour. So can you imagine how bizarre that must feel to someone saying, I can charge $100 an hour if I coach someone in the US. So part of what we do with the Honduran students is a lot of mindset work because it is scary maybe to them to think about that as a possibility. But once they start doing it, they, they love it. And then now it's like, oh, you weren't lying. This is a reality. So for them... Coaching pro bono in their communities is really important. They're very family centric. They're very community centric. That those two, those two, that husband and wife that asked me to coach their children, they are now two of our certified coaches. They started an NGO, non-government organization, a nonprofit organization to grief coach. Central Americans because they lost a child and they understand fully the pain of losing a loved one. So now they do pain recovery coaching, grief recovery coaching, 
They work with the UN in Honduras. They work with hospitals, universities. So in five years, actually in three years, because that's when they formed their nonprofit, they have done such beautiful humanitarian work and they can make a living because they can do coaching professionally. So again, they're almost doing what I did, which is they have a for-profit business, coach coaching, professional coaching, and then they have a nonprofit where they can do their humanitarian work. So what is that? Are they only coaching like for the actual profit? Are they able to coach in their community or is that where pro bono is or is the real dollars coaching people in Europe and back in America? Coaching inside of Honduras is typically pro bono. Mm-hmm. Coaching outside of Honduras is is lucrative. You know, and they can charge. I would say if you're Spanish speaking only, which some hundreds are, they would coach people in Spain and Spanish speaking people in North America. Um, they do coach each other and they do charge, but it would be at a lower amount in Honduras because of the economics, you know, the socioeconomic status. Yeah, similar to how you're alluding that what we think is very, very expensive professions. They are more service orientated. They have a lower price point, doctor, lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest complaint about the coaching industry in general, since its inception is the elitism. It is very expensive to become a coach. It has been expensive to hire a coach since 40, 45 years ago when it started. So I'm on a mission to make coaching and coach training accessible and affordable. Yeah. So how was it received when you're going down to Honduras, you're going to Central America, you're going to other places that traditionally aren't flowing with dollars like Silicon Valley? And, and the reason why I bring this up is because I've, I've had various conversations. Uh, my, my family and I, we, you know, my wife's family's from Mexico City. And when we go down there, even though I speak terrible Spanish, but I try my best, people light up and they love to help me and try to explain the words. But on the other side, here in the U.S., when someone doesn't have perfect English, they get very, very criticized for it. And so I'm curious that what is your experience bringing this American type, uh, even though the ICF is an international coaching trade, but bringing that mentality into Honduras and how it's grown over the five years? Is it received with with open arms or what are your thoughts? Very much so. Very much so. They, in Honduras, they describe it as they're very Americanized, meaning that they love, they even celebrate Thanksgiving. I'll put it that way. They love the U.S. They love people from the U.S. They light up when they have conversations with North Americans. When I say I'm from North America, they nod. They say yes, you know, because I didn't say I was from America (laughs) because they're also from the Americas, right? So I have a very respectful, as best as I know, you know, I try to be sensitive and positive wherever I travel. Panama in particular are very, very excited about North Americans because we help them finish the canal, the Panama Canal. So they have American flags. They have just a real, almost like a reverence for people in North America, but it's not in this awe kind of way, like a worshiping kind of way. It's more like they're so friendly. They're so welcoming. They're so glad that we're learning about their culture. I will say Honduras is a great example because no one thinks to go to Honduras on vacation. And this is a lot about tourism dollars that they don't have. But Honduras has the mountains and the jungle and the rainforest and the 
ruins and the beaches and so many beautiful things to go visit. And they are just happy when someone comes. And so for me, when I go, we are definitely part of their family now. We have, like I said, over 100 coaches in Honduras, probably about 50 or so in Panama. Uh, There is an ICF Caribbean chapter. It's a virtual chapter. And their vibe is a little more like having fun. And, you know, we call it omlining. And it's, um, oh, I don't know, more lights, more more, more human. Um, you know, I think North American chapters for ICF can be a little serious and stuffy, which is why I'm not part of some chapters here in the U S but yeah, I would say there's a welcoming and they're so happy to learn something new that can benefit themselves. They are very honoring of the self awareness part of coach training. They say things like, Oh, I thought I was just going to learn how to be a coach, but what I actually learned was a lot about myself. Very, very common. I think honestly, that's probably one of my biggest takeaways about learning coaching and learning things like emotional intelligence is how much better I'm I've become self-aware as as well. So, that's interesting that a lot of your students find that. And and does you talked a lot about how when people are coming on board and in coaching that they just see that they're like, I'm going to print money with this. And there's a lot of marketing out there to say, you can have six figures in no time whatsoever. But you kind of have a different approach thinking that we've, we've pushed way too far. So how do you kind of balance that people that do want to dive into coaching that do have bills to pay and have dreams, and they also want to make an impact, but there's a lot of money out there. So how do we, how do we bring that back a little bit in your opinion? In the 15 years that I've been coaching professionally, I see that more than ever now. I get a lot of phone calls from people saying, where's the registration link? I want to sign up today to become a coach because I've heard this is lucrative. I know I can make a bunch of money. Honestly, I do not take a lot of those students on. There are plenty of other coach training schools where that's kind of their model. And I would rather vet a student that is thinking of being of service first. So typically an entrepreneur or let's say a entrepreneur might think to themselves, I don't want to work for anyone else. And I want to do something that I love. And I would like to make money doing that. So in that order, it's kind of how they think, you know, jump off of corporate, uh, do something they love, make a bunch of money. I say flip that model completely. Be of service first, doing something that you love, the money will come. So for example, coaching to me full-time is about 15 hours a week. When I started 15 years ago, it was very like time for money, one-on-one. Coaches don't really make money as much that way anymore. We do so much online coursework and we have retreats and books and all that other stuff, you know, group coaching and Zooming. But 15 years ago, it was about having an office (laughs) that I rented and one-on-one sessions. Well, if you do that for 15 hours a week and you charge... $100 or so, that's a lucrative profession. That base salary is very good. So I tell my students, don't worry about the money because you're not going to be working 40 hours a week the way you used to working for someone else. My sessions when I coach full-time are Monday through Friday, 10 a.m., 12 p.m., and 2 p.m. And I don't do more than that. And if I did, you know, I did that every week, that would be a great living. So anything above that, I think of as gravy. And if someone is thinking about, oh, I'm going to make money doing this, they're usually not in the right place 
even to be the student in professional coach training. So, but if they get into the training, this is what they're going to learn. They're going to learn, oh, this is about humanity. This is about evolution. This is about transmutation. This is not about me making a bunch of money, which, but you can, that's, that's the, that's the real dichotomy here is that we, you know, for someone like me, that was a nonprofit, I was sacrificing in a way monetarily. I thought, you know, I have great benefits. I don't have a big salary, but I'm doing something I really care about. And it fulfills me in that way, but I was never going to make a ton of money in nonprofit this way. You know, I accidentally found a profession that I can flex my humanitarian muscles and I can make a living. And coaches today are making a lot of money doing online coursework. So if you're savvy online, I didn't have social media 15 years ago. It's easier than ever to get clients. It's easier than ever to deliver content and do packages and programs and all the things that coaches do now. So I was very fortunate that I found a profession that could do both for me. I can make a living and I can be fulfilled. I love it. Finding a profession that can do both with priorities first, because I, when I, when I see a lot of the sales and marketing and a lot of the stuff for coaching, it's very little about the actual coaching. It's all about the marketing funnel and the content, 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 and this and that. And it, there's not a whole lot of focus on actually quality coaching and just teaching everyone the skills to rope people in, which I feel kind of dilutes the actual quality of work. So I'm there's some kind of bizarre school out there that is training people how to supposedly help coaches make money. I don't know where all these people are coming from, but they are prevalent. And honestly, if someone's considering becoming a coach, we part, we call that marketplace confusion because people think, why are there so many coaches helping coaches make money? Is this, is this a, like a problem or is this, it's so, it's almost bizarre how, how much of that is out there. So I say, you know, let go of that stuff. Don't even read that stuff. And part of it is transparency. If you're saying, oh, 10K months and all this stuff, show me, show me what you mean. Um, transparency might even look like put your pricing on your website as a coach or as a coach trainer. You know, part of what I don't like is I see people trying to sign up coach trainees on the phone, as in give me your credit card number right now. Let's get you signed up without a sensitivity to that is a very large investment. I have to think about it. I have to talk to my partner sometimes about it. I have to consider what this is financially because I didn't even know the price before we got on the phone. Mm -hmm. So that whole, oh, if you sign up today, you get a discount. That is, in my opinion, very inappropriate and can be very exploitive. Yeah, agreed. Well, Des, before we kind of wrap up, I'd love to hear about how a woman in so many places internationally is taking care of herself so that she can continue to do all this great work. Mm. You know, people think I'm super busy, which I suppose I am. (laughs) Um, But I will say I 
you know, I homeschool my son. It's a big part of what I, who I am. He's 11. I work for myself, have for eight years now, eight and a half. So, you know, I work from home and I homeschool my son and the traveling that I do to coach train is, you know, before the pandemic and post pandemic is about once a month. And sometimes he comes with me, which is great. It's like, well, how it's much better to learn about Honduras in Honduras than in a book. Right. So I, you know, I'm not as busy as people think I am because if you looked at my website, you'd be like, wow, you know, Cape town and Rio and all these places and Honduras again and all that. But that's just, I don't know. You know, it's interesting self-care. I sleep a lot. I get a lot of sleep. I I walk the talk, you know, I drink a lot of water, I get a lot of sleep, I move my body every day. But this kind of work, especially humanitarian work, it just feeds my soul. It just is so invigorating. People ask me at the end of a long training day, they say, how do you do that for eight hours? You know, don't you get tired? And I'm like, it actually gives me energy. And I don't mean in that adrenaline kind of conference setting kind of way. It's just, it just totally feeds me. So I don't know. I mean, I guess in a way, my profession is what is a lot of a big part of my self-care because without it i'm still an amazing human being but with it i just feel so enlivened by it love to hear about when people are in alignment with their mission and getting energy from that i I think that's the way it should be so des thank you so much for this conversation i mean i could spend another half an hour asking about there's there's so much more work that you're doing so we'll have to invite you back But in the meantime, where can people find out more about Rise and more about you and all the awesome work that you're doing by the seat of the pants, right? Professional pantser. Yes. (laughs) Um, So Radiant Coaches is the best way to find out about what we're doing as Radiant Coaches Academy. And the best way to find out more about me is DesStevens.com. Excellent. Well, we'll have links to all that in the show notes. And until next time.